you. Uh, I don't know about all that great preacher uh, stuff, but uh, I, I uh, take the compliment. Thank you. And uh, it's, uh, it's wonderful to be able to uh, have this opportunity to speak to all of you. And I want to bring you greetings uh, from Great Plains Gathering here in Billings, Montana. And just as uh, we are worshiping together now, uh, our families in Great Plains are worshiping this morning as well. And so it's a joy to uh, have this opportunity to speak to you. Uh, is everyone hearing me? I'll just take, if EC will not, okay, perfect. I haven't done this before. Normally what we do is we pre-record on Saturdays and then send it out in, a, in an email. So uh, this is my first time. So thanks for, uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to do this. Um, I'm, I'm a, not quite an old, old dog, but I'm, I'm getting older and I'm still learning some new tricks. So that's good. And um, so anyway, it's uh, good to be here with you as, I, as EC shared, and as I mentioned, I'm the pastor of Great Plains Gathering. This is a church plant here in Billings, Montana. This is my home. This is where I have uh, grown up. And uh, it was uh, something God put in my heart, I think, uh, when I was even in high school, of just the overwhelming need here in our community uh, to... Uh, in, in terms of church and church community of just missing our native brothers and sisters. And so I think God had placed it in my heart to, at some point, uh, to, to serve in this capacity, to gather native people. And really church, our church plant has, if I were to kind of summarize it for you, is a, is a church that is intentional about gathering Billings Indian people. And so we have done that. This is a scratch plant. So we just started with just my wife and our, my kids. I have three children, been married to Katie uh, for over 20 years. And uh, so we're just, uh, I've, I've experienced some incredible things in this process of church plant. And maybe sometime I'll, I'll have the opportunity to share more of the details of that with you. Um, EC, Pastor EC asked if I would share one prayer request with you uh, uh, in regard to Great Plains, and, and, and that request would be, would you pray with us that we would continue uh, to reach and gather Native people who live here in Billings uh, for the gospel, that there would be more Native families that would come to faith and be part of this great fellowship here. So uh, thank, thank you for uh, welcoming me and for uh, praying for that request. The scripture reading for this morning's sermon is from Psalm 32. So if you uh, would pull your Bibles out or if that's in front of you, would you look there with me? I didn't actually check with uh, translations, but I'm reading from the ESV. And uh, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 5. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That is the word of the Lord. I wonder uh, how many of you have had the experience like I have had of being around somebody who is very enthusiastic, 
someone whose energy and joy almost feels contagious. Has that ever happened to you? I know that it has happened to me, and it is probably the times I remember it has happened when I wasn't maybe experiencing that, that same, I wasn't resonating with them in terms of joy and enthusiasm. And so their enthusiasm, as it was shared and demonstrated to me, would cause me to kind of reassess my own attitude and heart. I had to actually think, uh, what's, what's with me? You know, I'm feeling a little low right now. Or I'm, I'm, I'm not as, I'm not where this person is at, but, it, but just being with them, it's sort of like a, a shot of energy, of joy and enthusiasm. You know, one of the things I love about the scriptures and the shape it leaves in us as a church is that irrespective of our circumstances, there's always reason to have joy. Joy doesn't mean that you're always happy and bubbly necessarily. I know that I wouldn't describe myself in that way, but if, if, if that was what that meant, that would perhaps be inauthentic if we were trying to be bubbly and happy when situations weren't the most joyful nor happy. But when I speak of joy, and that's what I wanna talk about this morning, as you've been coming through this sermon series on joy, I wanna speak of the joy of forgiveness. And when I think of, of, of joy in this sense, I, I think of it more in the sense of a state of being, that this is, this is my heart condition. I, I think of Philippians chapter four, when we're hearing describe the God of peace, uh, giving us a peace which surpasses all understanding. Like we cannot explain uh, uh, what it is that, that, is, that, that, that we're experiencing this great joy necessarily, but through God's spirit, we are enabled somehow to experience and to receive peace and joy in God no matter what. And being around others, being around others like this, can certainly encourage us in the same way. And how true is that in a pandemic like we are in right now? You know, joy comes from a confidence and an assurance from God. Things, things can be bad. They can be really hard, but they're never as bad as they could be. And why is that? That is because for us who have faith in Christ, uh, for our salvation, we have the joy of forgiveness from our sins. Now, that's not the only thing that gives us joy, but certainly understanding that we've been forgiven and that we've been reconciled to God. What a, what a powerful means of, of giving us joy. That means we are recognizing that we are on the receiving end always of a status and a reality we know we don't deserve and that we have not earned. In the Psalms, uh, in Psalm 34, 1, David says this, I will bless the Lord at all times and on all occasions. His praise will continually be on my mouth. And we just think about those words, on all occasions, like, like even in a pandemic, on all occasions, God's praise be continually upon our mouths. And this written by David, who uh, describing a time in his life when he was actually on the run for fear of death himself. And so when you think about 
these words of blessing God on all occasion, joy actually leads to praise. You know, I love music, and I've just appreciated the music this morning, how beautiful uh, it has been and to sing with you. Uh, but, you know, I, I love music, and I think music is just a part of who we are as people. It's, it's, it's part of what it means to be human. And we love music, and God has given us, as the scripture says, a song in our hearts. Music, when it is true, often it tells a story, and it makes us feel certain things, and it captures things in a way that can't always be expressed without being sung. Psalm 32, this passage that we just heard read, is a, is a penitential psalm that expresses not only truth about our sin, but the joy we have as a result of being forgiven. Now, I'm most familiar with Psalm 32 because of our liturgy. And hearing it often is a favorite passage of inserting in that section of our worship as the assurance of, uh, of grace. And uh, so after we have confessed our sin as a, as a body together and have acknowledged our sin using language, we will often hear this psalm as the assurance of grace given to us. David, who is the author of this psalm as well, Psalm 32, he begins by saying, blessed, or bless. The word blessed you might recall from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He uses this same word, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who, are, who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This word blessed could, could also kind of be rendered happy. And I think the way we understand this word happy would not necessarily always uh, maybe do justice to the word blessed. Because when I think of happy, I also can't help but think of things like happy birthday or happy anniversary. And in those settings, we think of it as being a place where balloons and cake and ice cream and presents. And so I don't think that this necessarily captures everything about this word blessed. Blessed here is, again, an expression of joy on account of the peace and assurance that one has as a state of being as a result of something. In the case of this psalm, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, it says. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. You listen to these words, transgression, sin, iniquity, three ways to speak of how we break God's law in thought, word, and deed by things that we have said or done or left undone. Here is that energy. Listening to this psalm, here is this, this energy and enthusiasm in this psalm, which, which I've referred to already. The psalmist is capturing uh, where this joy comes from. God has carried away and removed my sin. This is how it speaks. He has atoned for, covered over, removed from his sight my sin. And, and not by counting it against me. He, he will not bring it up nor use it against me. When you think about it, how astonishing is that? Just to think of, of God's grace so amazing. 
that God isn't just saying when you and I sin again with maybe this besetting sin and saying, you know, that happened yesterday and the day before that. How long is this going to persist, right? This isn't the way God deals with us. There's reason. As we hear these words, there's reason to have joy. You know, I remember being part of a winter retreat a couple of years ago for our kids and teens, for our youth. And this is something that our church, as well as two other PCA churches located near us, get together and we have a, a winter retreat. And as a leader, I, I joined a, a small group near me. I wasn't necessarily the leader of that group. I was just close. And so I, I joined this group near me of upper-class senior boys. I knew a couple of these kids, uh, one of whom was a pastor's son. And the message had just been given. And now came the, the, the breakout into groups for, for good conversation, right? And uh, the leader in our group, he was loaded with a, a prepared question that uh, he fired off uh, the, the first one and only to get a response of silence. Now, we had played hard the night before, and of course, you could think these kids are just tired, right? We'd had lunch. There was this sermon that was given. Now it's time for this conversation, but it really wasn't the case. It was just it was silence. Nobody was responding. As I looked at the question, in light of the message we had all just heard, I realized that, that much of this was designed to just get kids to say the right thing or at least learn how they're supposed to think about grace. When I realized that, immediately my heart it, it felt something for these boys in this group and for all of the youth in this retreat. The thing that I knew about most of these boys is that they could have spit out the right answers, but they were completely disengaged. Something about this discussion was non-interesting. They, they even appeared indifferent. Now, I was sitting there in this awkward silence, and I thought, well, I don't know them well, they don't know me very well, but I felt just like the Lord leading me, even in my own recognition of contributing to this in a, in, in a way, to uh, address what seemed obvious to me that most of them probably knew all of this information, that they had probably heard this discussion many times. But I, but I asked them a question off script, and I said, what is it that still astonishes you about grace? What, if anything, amazes you about it? And one of the boys answered, sadly, not much. Again, my, my heart broke. And asking the question, of course, if, if the potential to be honest is there, you're going to hear things like this at times. My heart broke because I realized that often, often we're setting up our kids for failure uh, in their discovery of grace with trying to pre-order or pre-package it all for them. Thankfully, though, this discussion be kind of it, it opened up a bit more and it moved forward. It was provoked a bit, but I saw something in that that concerned me immediately as a pastor, but also as a father of children. And, and how is it that I'm uh, representing 
grace and joy and the joy of forgiveness. How am I, how am I in some ways, how am I uh, setting them up? Is it, is it for success in, in the gospel and truly understanding it? You know, someone once said, until sin be bitter, grace will not be sweet. How true are these words? Until sin be bitter, grace will not be sweet. Here the psalmist is expressing the bitterness of sin, transgression, and iniquity. And, and he's expressing it in such a way that when it hung over his head, unconfessed before the Lord, it was a weight. And God in this passage, heavy-handed here, only in the sense of being a loving and gracious God, who rather than condemn us, he helps us to come to our senses and to repent. This, this enthusiastic song says, For when I kept silent, listen to the words again, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. What descriptive language. What a, what a feeling of that burden. Sin is, is just that. It is, it is a bondage. It is a burden. And, and when you think about it, we also understand that sin may not always just have this sort of um, dark heaviness that we just want to get rid of. There is a sense in which it is attractive. It draws us in and seduces us. And it, and it um, ensnares us at times. And yet there is something about sin that is fun for a season, right? But eventually we know God and his grace will, will reveal it to us. And it can come in a very, uh, the feeling of heaviness described here. You know, when we think of sin in the many forms it can come, we, we must understand that sin is first and foremost against God. Sure, we know that in our sin, maybe in what we have said, it can be a, a thing that wounds somebody else, and we can regret what we said. But more than, than that, more than that, it is a wound against God, first and foremost. And yet God, knowing us, even the motives of our hearts, so not full of a love for God, he lovingly weighs us down persistently, calling us to repent and to confess our sin. Sin conceals, and I'm not just talking about it as, as, as the, some, some sin apart from us, but in our hearts, we, we tend to conceal that sin. We like to, to hide it, to keep it secret, keep it safe. But God means to reveal sin for what it is and not all at once. He doesn't expose us for all of our sin, but, but does so by his spirit, enabling us to see uh, as he desires and enables us. God means for us to embody the one in whose spirit there's no deceit and to, to come clean. You know, when I started Great Plains Gathering, I wanted to gather together men, and uh, native men in particular who lived and worked in Billings. And most of the men that began with us that came together were unchurched. They had not really had any church background at all. 
getting men together and it was my desire for honest conversation for for a place to be true and authentic but i can tell you this is very difficult it's difficult because while many long for honesty it is also scary at the same time and part of that is because honesty honesty involves loss those things that we kind of hold on to that being vulnerable that that is felt that is that is weighed in those kinds of settings and one of the things that we would use as a as a way that would help build this in was to say this a series of quotations uh, every time as kind of tenants that would begin our our group together and one of them was we're a company of christian men but we are also natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth you know the fact of the matter is is truth can be very frightening but there's also something very interesting about it at the same time as as we begin to understand truth in the context of others it's authentic it is as james describes that that when we confess our sin one to another there is a healing that takes place when our men could be honest and and truthful i found something interesting is that it gave courage to other men to do the same and to respond with the same the same kind of authenticity and truth we found ways to in this let go of personas the, the way we wanted to be perceived and the way we perceived ourselves. And those things were beginning to, to break away. And we were finding freedom. Freedom, from, freedom through acknowledgement of our, our tendencies to be liars, to be concealers of the truth about ourselves. And I witnessed some powerful, transformative moments in those groups. Now, I'm not just talking about it as like a good idea or a strategy. This had to be something I too discovering along with these men participant in it here david says again when i acknowledged my sin and did not cover my iniquity and confessed my transgression to the lord you forgave the iniquity of my sin again until sin be bitter grace will not be sweet the joy of forgiveness here is contingent on our acknowledging what the lord means to bring out of us this requires courage and trust and vulnerability. I want to say that as a church, not only do we do strange things like sing songs, maybe even on Zoom, and we do so together, but we also acknowledge our sin together corporately as a church, and we use words. And, and as we begin to do that, and, and, it's, and it's honest, I mean, we're learning and we're being shaped by our worship that's informing our lives. We're understanding more about forgiveness, about reconciliation with God, but also with one another. And out of that flows a joy. I heard someone say, when we're overtaken by joy, we get a taste of peace. When we are overtaken by joy, we get a taste of peace. And isn't peace expressed here so powerfully in this song? Peace with God. Peace with God through being reconciled to him whom we have sinned against. To the sinner who has peace with God, it, it also allows for a movement to have peace and reconciliation with others. Others with whom we offend, offended, 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 and offended by and hurt by. 
Joy, joy can take over. And the power of being forgiven moves us even toward places of deep difference. I want you to think of, uh, of that kind of joy working in our hearts in such a way as to not be threatened anymore by somebody else. Be, to, to no longer be threatened by those things which the difference creates a, a stress and an anxiety within you. This is, this is the power of joy. This is the power that forgiveness has in our lives. And thank goodness the Lord enables us to do this through the power of his forgiveness. But it also enables us to uh, help uh, others as the church and as the body discover this as well. And I want you to, I want you to think of it as a little later on in this psalm in verse 10, which I didn't read, but I want to read it to you now. It says in verse 10, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Steadfast love. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Often the steadfast love that surrounds us are the people of God who help us to see what we may fail to see and acknowledge. I heard that it is a sin to actually think that we can see our own sin. Now just think about that for a little bit. It's a sin to think that you can see your own sin. This idea that, that we can see our own sin by, by ourselves as God reveals it to us alone. In reality, this allows for some sins to continue to be a mystery to us. Sometimes we have sinned against a person and they need to help. They need to help us see that. You know, the proverb says, profuse are the kisses of an enemy, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. I think that this shows up in, for example, marriage. In my marriage, my spouse will help me see as in part of the sanctifying process the sin that that i'm reluctant that i persist in that i do that has a that is a, a pattern in my own way of speaking or acting and so god uses my wife to help me to see that and so uh, we we see it anywhere there is close proximity and trust as a church we experience this and and we must welcome it we must embody it and, and be that as well. Think about it, when joy takes over because we've been forgiven, it begins to change our hearts. It begins to change the way we, re, we interact with one another. We're no longer feeling that sense of being threatened. So truth too, and, and speaking truth as, as, as a result of the joy of forgiveness is, is this powerful thing that we experience as a body. I believe that not only will this help us move toward God who loves us and even first move toward us, even though we were once his enemies, but it will help us move toward others, even those we have offended or have been offended by. Sin keeps us thinking we, we should assert our rights and be offended, but grace moves us toward others by the power of being forgiven. When we're overtaken, again, when we're overtaken by joy, the joy of forgiveness, we get a taste of peace. I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, what a joy it is to be able to preach from this psalm and to think through 
joy with all of you and to think of it in terms of forgiveness, which certainly isn't all that, that makes up this joy that we have. But I, I just, I'm just reflecting this morning of meeting yesterday with some of our own families and looking into the faces of some of the folks who came, I, I didn't necessarily see joy. I, I saw people and even interacted with them there where there was just so much anger, so much a feeling of, of, of being threatened by loss and losing. But taking the time to just say, what, what do we still have? We're in this pandemic. We feel, we feel insecure about maybe losing certain freedoms, certain rights. But it's like, what, where, where is this joy that irrespective of circumstance, where, where do we have it? Where do we, what do we hold on to when everything sort of feels turned upside down? And so to add to that request of prayer for more Native people, I would ask also to pray for our families that, that we would be overtaken by joy and to remember this powerful truth, this powerful truth in the midst of all of this. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that, Lord, you, you have covered over, atoned for our sins which you do not remember as far as the east is from the west, so have you removed our sin. God, help us to be a people who embody that, that great joy of being forgiven. Lord, you move toward us. Help us then to move toward others, to encourage, to build up your church, to, 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 to embody that, that great joy of enthusiasm. God, be with us as your people, Lord, in the midst of this pandemic, to continue to have our eyes focused and set upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that you have begun a great work in us and you will see it to completion. So Lord, give us that joy. Renew that in us. Remind us who we are. We thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.